It's John 15 and verses 1 to 17. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. I don't know whether you've ever reflected on this question. Why did Jesus have to leave? I mean, after the resurrection, why didn't he stay? Why go back to heaven? Why is he not on earth now? I mean, after all, frankly, if, if Jesus were here, it would be very helpful. I, mean, I don't know whether there were times you have doubts. Did, did it really happen? Did he rise again? It, it actually helped those quite a lot if I could see him. Or again, as you're witnessing to friends, it, it would be quite useful to be able to point them to somebody they could actually see. Why didn't Jesus stay? It's actually clearly an issue for his disciples. It, it's that moving evening where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, where he shares that last supper. And Jesus has been saying things that have alarmed the disciples. Chapter 13, verse 33, my children... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Again, verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow now. And you can imagine Peter's response. There's a sense of alarm. Lord, why can't I follow you now? And most of the questions that follow from the disciples are about this issue. You can understand it, can't you? They'd left everything to follow Jesus, left jobs and so on. They left everything, and now he says that he's leaving and he's not taking them with him. And that sets the background for this conversation that follows, this extended teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples. In many ways, he's relieving their anxieties. 
such that by the time you get to chapter 16 and verse 7, he'll say this, it is for your good that I'm going away. Lord, we don't want you to leave. Actually, no, no. It's for your good that I'm going away. Because what you will experience after I have left is better than what you have now. What you'll experience then is better than what you have now. Why? Because I'm going to send the Spirit, the counsellor, the one who comes alongside to help. And what's clear throughout this section is that this Spirit who comes is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, if you like, says, he's another me, another one like me who's going to come to live within you. And this whole section, John 14 to John 17, describes, if you like, the, the intimate connection that the believer will have with Jesus. Just how close that union will be. So look at the language of chapter 14, for instance. Chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's incredible language, isn't it? Jesus is saying, the sort of union that I have with my Father is the sort of union I will have with you. I am my Father, you and me, and I am you. It's all the language of union. Somebody said, actually, you could almost explain the whole Christian message simply in unions. The union of God, Father, Son, Spirit. The union of Jesus in his human and divine nature. And now the union that we have with Christ. And Jesus is saying, just as I am in my Father, so I will be in you and you will be in me. Or see how he goes on, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, it's that language of by the Spirit of Father and Son coming to be united with the believer. Setting up home within our hearts. Or again, Jesus will use similar sort of language in chapter 17. Particularly in the last section, he's praying to his Father. And in the last section, he's praying for those who will become Christians through the message of the apostles. Christians down the generations. And so in the last section, this is, again, how he describes the relationship that there'll be. Verse 23, I in them and you in me. Again, it's the language of Jesus coming to live within the heart of the believer, just as the Father and the Son are united. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Which, again, is fairly striking language, isn't it? That the Father has loved the Christian even as he's loved Jesus. Quite a privilege to be a Christian. Because, again, Jesus, because he's within us, so the love for the Son is also a love for those who are united with the Son. Us, his people. Or again, verse 26. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Because we're united to Jesus, so the Father loves us, even as he loves Jesus. 
We are his sons and daughters whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. And I guess as you begin to put those things together, you can, I hope, understand why it is better to be a Christian now. <coughs> Here we have that vital union with Jesus. Three times in this section he says, I in them, I in you, absolutely locked together. And can Christ be rich and I poor, to quote Hudson Taylor from last night? If he's in us, then we have all the riches that belong to the Lord Jesus. It's worth reflecting on I mentioned in the first session the, uh, the book One Forever. That's just come out. And Rory Shannon, the author of it, makes a provocative point. He says this. Our great hindrance in the Christian life is not a lack of effort, but a lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. That's to say, actually, if I really grasp that the power of the Lord Jesus is within me, and I have fullness in him, and we're locked together, that's going to be the thing that will really equip me to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. You see, the Christian today is in a better position than God's people at any other point in salvation history. We have this union, Christ in us. And so what I want to do in this session is just really explore the theme of union with Christ from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. Most of, if you read books on union with Christ, will primarily focus on Paul's teaching, the language of in Christ. But what I wanted to do in doing this session was also to underline the importance that Jesus himself attaches to it, particularly in John's Gospel. Because what we get in John 15 is an image of union. There are various images of union throughout Scripture. There's the image of a head and body, which are intended to be united. There's the image of a husband and wife. And there's this image of the vine and the branches in John 15. Now, I have to admit, I'm slightly nervous coming to East Oxford and talking about this, because I live in North Oxford. In North Oxford, gardens are things that you pay people to work in. (laughs) Whereas in East Oxford... You just spend all your time in allotments, don't you, growing vegetables? Is that, is that about right? So for me to come from North Oxford to East Oxford to use a gardening metaphor feels very perilous indeed. And for that reason, I'm not going to expound the whole passage. Um, but rather what we're going to do is we're going to mainly focus in on verse 5 and uh, see the things that flow out from there. So verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Three things I want us to notice. Here's first. I want us to see the importance of remaining in Jesus. The importance of remaining in Jesus. I'm the vine, Jesus says at the beginning of verse 5. Or in the language of verse 1, I am the true vine. You're probably aware that back in the Old Testament, vines or vineyards is a metaphor that is often applied to Israel. And yet, to be honest, throughout the Old Testament, the language is almost always negative. So Psalm 80, verse 16, your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire, at your rebuke, your people perish. And it's the language of God's people going into exile, the vine is broken down. Or in the language of Isaiah 5, where Israel is a vineyard, God, as it were, looks for fruit from the vineyard and there's only bad fruit. No godly character, 
no justice, no righteousness. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it's deliberately provocative. Old Testament Israel had failed to produce fruits that, with which God was pleased. If you like, it was the false vine. By contrast, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I will produce good fruit. But how is Jesus going to produce that fruit? What we see in John 15 is that Jesus is going to produce that fruit through his people, through us. I'm the vine, you are the branches. It will be the fruit that comes from these branches that are joined to Jesus. And of course, it's a picture of union. I know nothing about gardening. I just about know that a branch lying on its own won't produce fruit. <laughs> they need to be joined together as various nutrients and other good things go through the vine and out to the branches. They have to be joined together for fruit to come about. It's a picture of union. It's that thing we said again and again. Always together, never apart. Always Jesus and me. Always Jesus and us. Always locked together. And that's why Jesus says what he does in our text. If anyone remains in me or I in him. We are joined together in this union and our responsibility is to stay there. Or as we saw in Colossians 2, not to be dragged away, not to be taken captive by human thinking, to be locked to Jesus. It's actually put as a command, verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Now notice the language here. The language is not get united with me, it is stay united with me. And we do need to hold on to that perspective because subtly we can shift. The Christian doesn't work for life. The Christian works from life. The Christian doesn't work for acceptance. The Christian works from acceptance. The Christian doesn't need to get united, but to stay united. That's to say we have it. We don't have to get it if we're already in Christ. We have it. We need to stay there and live it out. And that is hugely important. Most of us will end up having a sort of doctrinal basis we sign up to and believe in, and then something that will function differently in our hearts and minds. So if we signed up to it, you say, oh, of course I'm accepted by Christ. But suddenly in our thinking, we'll be thinking to ourselves, actually, if I've read the Bible, if I've resisted that lustful thought, if I've been kind to that person I feel irritating... Well, then I'll be accepted by the end of the day. And what Jesus is saying is, you are in me. You are accepted. You do have life. The responsibility is to stay there. Just that danger of wrong thinking, it sometimes comes up when we pray with people. I'm in a couple of prayer triplets with um, guys in the church. And often they'll say something like this. Can you pray that I'll get closer to God? Can you pray that I'll get closer to God? And at one level, I know what they're saying. Because in our subjective experience and our emotions, there are times, aren't there, when we feel closer to God and more distant from God. And in our subjective experience, the Bible does tell us, actually, draw near to God. And yet in the end, that kind of, I need to get closer to God, can, I think, be unhelpful. As though Jesus is here and I'm sort of yo-yoing backwards and forwards as to whether I'm closer to God or more distant from God. 
Whereas this biblical image of union means I'm as close to Jesus as I could possibly be. I'm locked to him. I'm in him. He's in me. And the injunction is not get close to me, but you are close to me. Remain in me. Stay there. Abide in me. Don't move from me. And it is a command. Actually, it matters, verse 6, because if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and are burnt. It's a parallel image to verse 2, where the branch that bears no fruit, I think because it's lost its connection with Jesus, is fit for nothing. We don't have to get united with Jesus if we're Christians, but there is a biblical command to stay united, and it matters. Because the only way to be fruitful is to remain in union with Jesus. Now, I swear in the scriptures there are encouragements. The reason we stay united to Jesus is because he's got hold of us and won't let us go. But here, actually, in John 15, the emphasis is on our responsibility. It's a command. Remain in me. Don't move. Stay close to me. So if we've seen the vital importance of remaining in Jesus, fruit only comes from the two being locked together. Here's the second thing. What are the means of remaining? How do you stay in Jesus? Well, it seems to me in John 15, the image of staying, remaining in Jesus is linked to obedience to the word. Obedience to the word. Here we're going to move a little bit beyond verse 5 uh, into some of the surrounding verses. And it's probably worth going back to verse 2. Where the father, who's the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans or prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. As this language of remaining in Jesus is linked to this image of cleaning or pruning. It's actually the same word. The experience of remaining in Jesus involves the father pruning us so that we will bear fruit in an ongoing way. Nobody is, I think, the traditional way of understanding this father pruning is often in terms of God allowing difficult circumstances and suffering to come into our lives, so that that will produce fruit. And I think that's true, and certainly true from other New Testament passages. And I think last time I taught John 15, that's what I taught it meant here. But I've changed my mind. And the reason is because of verse 3. Where Jesus goes on, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And the word used for pruning in verse 2 and the word used for being clean in verse 3 is actually pretty much the same word. It's the same idea. So Jesus is saying, if you like to these disciples, that cleaning, that pruning has already happened to you. And the means of that happening was actually not through difficult circumstances, but rather through my word. The word that I spoke to you about who I am, that is the word that has made you clean, that makes you fruitful. And it seems to me it's as God continues to apply the word of Jesus to us, is how we go on in increasing fruitfulness for his glory. So as Jesus spoke the words to them, so they were united to him. A bit like we saw from Ephesians 1, it's as we hear the word that we're included in Christ... And it's also the means by which we go on being fruitful. See what Jesus says in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be given you. Again, it's common sense, isn't it? If union is to continue, then the words of whom, the words of the one with whom we're united, will be treasured by us. It's as His words remain in us and flow into us that that union is kept, and fruit comes about. Just to pick up the uh, other metaphor uh, for union, marriage, which I know even less about than I know about gardening, but. Um, But again, in that image of union, if you essentially have a couple that have stopped communicating, where perhaps the words of the spouse are ignored, then you're heading for a breakdown of that union. It's actually as you remain together and each other's words are beginning keeping impacting you, that you'll stay together and good things will result from the union. So how do we remain united with Jesus? It's actually as his words remain in us and as the Father uses his words to make us more fruitful. So it's the question that comes to us. Do the words of Jesus still mean a lot to me? Do I treasure hearing him speak? Is there that union that's expressed in a relationship where I enjoy listening to him? And am I committed to obeying him? Am I committed to obeying the words which I hear Verse 9, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Well, that's great, isn't it? As the Father has loved Jesus, so has he loved us. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That sense of Jesus' words remaining in us and us obeying them will be vital to a growing appreciation of our union with Christ and our sense of his love. Let's be honest, you will know that in your experience. I know for myself, when I've consciously disobeyed Jesus, I will have that sense of distance. I will lose that sense of his love for me. There will just be that barrier that I've set up. Jesus is saying to have a rich sense of fellowship with him will involve obedience. To have a rich sense of his love for me will involve obeying his word. Now the good news is this. Because we're united with him, that's possible. You see, if it was a question of I need to obey him in order to get united, frankly that would be awful. I couldn't do it. I'm powerless on my own. But actually because we have all the resources of Jesus flowing through us, as branches attached to the vine. So praise God, this life of obeying his word is possible for us. It's not relying on my own strength. His resources are flowing through me. We remain in Jesus as his words remain in us, and we're committed to obeying them. And what does that particularly look like? Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. After I was putting the material together for this weekend, I had one slight fear that it would be easy for us to go away thinking of our union with Christ purely in individualistic terms. It's me and Jesus locked together. Whereas the reality is this, because I am united with Christ and you are united with Christ, so I am united with you. We are branches together, attached to the vine. It's actually why, as we work through John 13 to 17, the the theme of the oneness of the body is so central. 
You see, we're locked together. We are united with Christ. It's always him and us together. And so an expression of my union with Christ will be that I love you as somebody else who has Christ living in them, as somebody else who is that branch attached to the vine. I don't know how you find church weekends. Let's be honest, they can sometimes expose tensions, can't they? That person who you can roughly tolerate for 90 minutes, you're spending 48 hours with them. Love them. Be committed to their good. More seriously, I don't know how you find change. Because that's what you guys are facing, isn't it? In all kinds of ways. It does create tensions. It, It does create, why are they doing that? How does that work? What's the future going to be like? Love each other. Fine. Branches. You have Christ living in you, just as he lives within me. Therefore, I love you. Therefore, I'm going to be committed to your good. Love each other, Jesus says. That's how you express your, my union with you, your union with me. It works its way out in love for each other. And it's part of the obedience that is part of us remaining in Jesus. We don't have to get united, we are united. But we live out that union with his word remaining in us and us obeying his word supremely in this section, his command to love each other. Here's the last thing. If we've seen the vital importance of remaining in Jesus, the means is obedience to his word. Here's the third. It's the blessings of remaining in Jesus. Let me get back to that verse we're mainly focusing on, verse 5. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. You see, without Jesus, we're just branches on our own. We can't bear fruit. But with Jesus, we can. It is possible to live a fruitful Christian life. Now, what is that fruit? Frankly, if you read the commentaries on this, you'll get loads of uh, various ideas as to what on earth this fruit is. Here's my take on it for what it's worth. It seems to me the background is Isaiah 5, where God was primarily looking for righteous living as a mark of what it was to belong to him. And so it seems to me primarily the fruit is in that sort of category. Character, godliness, that pleases him. Or look at verse 8, because it might help us. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruit is that which brings glory to God and reveals that we're his disciples. It involves things like Christ-likeness. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus. It's that which people see and begin to praise God for. Fruit that brings glory to God. Supremely, I think, in righteous character and godly living. But that fruit works itself out in a number of ways. You, you get the privilege of prayer that Pat was mentioning this morning, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. I guess verses like that can feel tricky at times. We're very conscious of unanswered prayers. And yet I don't want to water this down. When we are in Jesus and are so shaped by his word that we are praying with the concerns of his word, then we can ask and pray confidently. You know, from John 15, Lord, won't you help us to remain in you? 
Lord, won't you so work in us that there will be plenty of fruit in our lives? Those seem to me the kind of concerns that somebody shaped by God's word will be praying, and praying confidently, with the expectation of answers. And you get the fruit of, of joy, verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. I hope your image of Jesus is somebody who's full of joy. I guess sometimes some of our images of Jesus will not have him being rejoicing, but Jesus is full of joy. And actually being united with Jesus means that his joy is in us. Which means that one of the fruit that comes out from the Christian's life is joy. Yeah, I hope when I was using that language earlier of I in you and you in me and God making our home within us, I hope there's at least some sense of it's good to be a Christian. You know, it's a joyful thing to be a Christian. Yeah, we can rejoice because of our union with Jesus. There's all kinds of good fruit, all kinds of blessings from being united with Jesus. That privilege of prayer, that joy, that sense of being his friends, that fruit to the glory of God. Let me pull some threads together and then we're going to spend some time praying. I think really two challenges right at the end. Here's the first. Believe it. Believe it. I have to admit, I've taught on union with Christ in different places, and sometimes people get quite angry. And the reason they get angry is this I just don't feel this. This is just all so abstract. You know, phrases like, you're as close to Jesus as you could possibly be. I just don't get that. It doesn't feel like that. And sometimes it seems to me things like tiredness, or depression, or maybe painful circumstances we've been through can contribute to a sense of this just doesn't click. But in general terms, I simply want us to encourage us to have faith, to take Jesus at his word, say this is real. He is the vine, we are the branches, we are joined to him, this is true. I have a vital union with Jesus, I am in him, and he, he, he is in me. And I think it's as we have faith, as we believe that to be true, so often our feelings and our emotions will catch up with that. Take Jesus at his word. We are united with him. Believe it. And then secondly, remain in him. Don't go anywhere else. Let me be honest, and I can throw this up because I don't know you very well, but it might be that there's some here and there is a sense of distance from Jesus. And deep down you know why. It's actually because Jesus' word has stopped remaining in you. It's because actually deep down you know you're wandering from his word. Or you know there is intentional disobedience. Maybe it's Christians you know you stopped loving and are just nurturing resentment towards. Maybe it's some other form of disobedience. And actually we know that. And that's frankly why this sense of union with Christ feels distant from us. And it might be if that's the case, then there's just business for us to do with Jesus. The good news is that the resources for change are there. The resources for change, the resources in a sense for this life of obedience are there because there is that life-giving vine. She said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that means there is the power to change. And so if there's the sense of, I just feel distant from Jesus, and frankly, I know why. 
hope this weekend's just a good weekend to do business with Jesus. Just to come back to him and say, I want to be in your love. I want to experience that love. And because I'm joined to you, there is power to change. So believe it's true. Remain in him. Don't go anywhere else. If Christ is rich, can I be poor? It's a really good thing to be joined to Jesus. It's great power there. And our calling is to live that out. Let's pray.